Everything F1. Driven by fans, for the fans. And it's lights out and away we go! is still on provisional pole. This time for Stefan and Hamilton have crashed out. It's McLaren and Ricardo that win the Italian Grand Prix. Max Verstappen, for the first time ever, is champion of the world. Hello, welcome to the Everything F1 podcast with me, James Tiller. And alongside me from the Everything F1 team today, we do have Coops. Hi, Coops. How are you? Hello. I'm doing all right. Did you have a good weekend? Did you enjoy the the Grand Prix over the weekend and the the, the thunderous rain and showers that we got? Well, it was, it was good because we got racing. I, I scored an on goal on a Saturday morning, getting up at six and realising qualifying did start till seven. Oh. And then uh, my son, who's 12, wanted to get up with me to watch this Japanese Grand Prix, so I woke him up at quarter to six. <laughs> then he fell asleep on the couch waiting for the race to start. Uh, so I was quite glad that we got something going. Uh, and then yes. me, and, me and Morgan went over to watch Kamarnock Football Club play against Hearts, and we were 2-1 up until 95 minutes, and they equalised. So, you know, it, it was good. A good weekend. We crammed a lot of stuff in, but, you know. Welcome to the world of supporting the mediocre football. Well, ha- ha- we've also got Oscar alongside us from the EF1 team too. Uh, Oscar, have you had a- an eventful week as well? Yeah, it's uh, it's been interesting so far. Yeah, looking back at the race, it's a shame that the championship has now been wrapped up so soon and uh, F1 fans haven't really been given the chance to, to watch a full race in mm. quite a few weeks either. But uh, yeah, overall, a busy weekend of sport. Like Coops, I support a mediocre football team, Manchester United. <laughs> slightly different budgets, of course. But we picked up a big win on Sunday. So that certainly improved my mood after a, a shortened race earlier well, much earlier that morning, I should say. So you'd consider Manchester United as mediocre? You, you, you think they're that good? Uh. <laughs> I see what you've done there. I see what you've done there. Well, I know I'll be on Thursday night, that's for sure, enjoying the best Premier European competition that is the Europa League. So take that one. The minute that they get rid of Harry Maguire, they'll move up to mediocre. That, that's, the that's, that's the situation. Anyone who's watching on this Facebook live feed, you might see another floating head on the screen. You might be someone that you know from YouTube, from Quadrant from many places. It's Arav who's come to speak to us today. So hi, Arav, how are you? Hello, I'm good. I'm good. I share Oscar's sentiment. I too am a Man United fan. So uh, yeah, oh. I'll, I'll share that mediocrity for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. I, I didn't mean to be, I, I don't mind insulting Oscar. I didn't know I was, I was insulting you and your team as well. Because <laughs> I know Oscar, uh, but there you go. Okay. So for our fans who are tuning in that might not know you, who are you? What do you do? Give us a kind of a brief overview. Yeah, so I'm known as Arava online on YouTube. So I've been making like F1 gaming content on YouTube for uh, ooh, about well too long now. Going to make me feel old, like about 10 years 
or wow. so at this point. So quite a while. And uh, maybe lately people might know me from a quadrant, which is Lando Norris's F1 kind of like esports team, kind of his kind of like apparel line. Everything Lando that's off the circuit is quadrant. Right. And uh, we do a bit of content with him, you know, when, when we can get hold of him. So people might know me from there. And yeah, I occasionally dabble in, in things like this where I talk about actual F1 rather than the game. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to unpacking all that with you later. Obviously, talking about all the quadrant stuff which sounds very interesting, obviously, with a direct link to Lando. So absolutely looking forward to that uh, towards the end of this pod. But first, we are Everything F1. You can find us on all our social platforms. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok as well. Uh, and of course, our shiny website, www.everythingf1.com. And you are also listening to us on this podcast. We'd love it if you were to hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast streaming service to get all of our latest podcasts in your earlobes as soon as they drop. Okay, I'm going to go around to each of you first and rate the Grand Prix out of rate it out of ten, just to kick just to kickstart this 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 thing. So we'll go to our guest first, Arav. What 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 can you rate this out of ten? It. I don't think it can be it's, a 10 out of 10, can it? No, it's a, it's a tough one because when there was racing, it was actually, you know, quite exciting. Obviously, the start was quite hectic with the amount of rain and spray and just the, the challenge for the drivers. Of course, the end was, well, interesting for after the checkered flag, let's say. I don't know if you can count that as part of the race necessarily. So maybe if we just look at the actual race itself, the fact mm. we got underway and actually finished the race was quite a good thing. But, you know, kudos to F1 for actually managing to do that this yeah. time around. So I don't know. I'm going to give it, I'll go with a... Uh, 6.5 just because there was a lot of waiting as Coop said you know people falling asleep potentially uh, on, <laughs> on some sofas I know you know same thing happened with myself and my girlfriend my girlfriend just fell asleep immediately yeah. as soon as we had to like delay the first time so obviously that dilutes it down I think a bit yeah I, I agree with your, your score as well actually 6.5 is from where I'd, I'd plant it it was great to be back in Japan though wasn't it Japan is such a great track the fans are great. The circuit's superb, and it's just one of the best tracks on the on the F1 calendar. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean Suzuka is such a like a thoroughbred circuit. It's got so much culture and like folklore about it. You know, the amount mm. of like insane championship moments we've had there. I think it's no no surprise where why Vettel absolutely adores it. You know, he was it was quite I think romantic about it the whole the whole weekend when he was talking about it. And it, it's, mm. it's great that he and Alonso got to have that photo finish right at the end. I mean, what a send off for him and yeah. his last ever Japanese Grand Prix potentially. So uh, yeah, I mean it was uh, it was great to be back after two long years of not having it. Yeah, it was. It was. Coops, what would you rate it out of 10? Yeah, probably a six. Okay. It was good. A lot of waiting about. <laughs> Quite a few things to talk about uh, in such a short period of time. And I think yes. the biggest thing for me is there wasn't much of a battle at the front. You know, there mm. was, what, a 40-minute lap, a 40-minute race, and Verstappen was 30-odd seconds ahead by the time we got to the end. You know, kind of just shows you the domination for Verstappen, to be honest. So, but yeah, other than that, the, the the interesting thing though was for a forty minute race and, and there was stuff to watch. There was mm. there was still things going on, which I don't know if it's the track and maybe the the new the regulations must have helped with that and stuff. But yeah, I would go for a bit of six. Okay. And last lastly, Oscar, can you give it a, a score for for the race as well? Sure. So I'll have to agree with with the with the other guys really in terms of a score. I think six out of ten is fair. I think for sentimentality purposes, it was great. You know, Seb Vettel, of course, having that lovely send off. You know, a track he's 
been quite open about in terms of his enjoyment of it. But yeah, once again, it was quite a frustrating race. I think in that, you know, not only was it short and, and Verstappen won, and I'm not a big Red Bull fan, but <laughs> yeah, of course, as well as that, you know, we have to mention the tractor controversy and the memories that that brought back. You know, it's, it just doesn't reflect very well on F1 as a sport. And, mm. you know, for the kind of global, the global sport that it is and the popularity it has, I think there's been a few incidents where it just seems a little bit amateurish this year. So I can understand the frustration of the drivers when it came to that. And yeah, overall, it was nice to be back in Suzuka, but I'm hoping for a better race next year. Absolutely. I think they could have brought the cars out earlier and just, you know, had a nice little parade around the safety car for a bit with their full wet wet tires. I don't know. I, I just give gives the fans a bit of extra to watch. Not necessarily that it's going to be competitive racing, but it may have cleared the track as well. I don't know. I think we, we discussed this yesterday, actually, didn't we, Oscar? You thought that might be the that might have been something might have given the fans something extra there. I think so, yeah. You know, you can never risk the driver's safety. That that is paramount, of course, mm. in you know any racing conditions. But at the same time, I just feel like the FIA have been a bit, a little bit hesitant when it comes to these races. You know, Monaco springs to mind earlier in the season. It was mm. heavy rain. And we all know that Monaco, especially with these cars getting wider by the year, that, you know, overtaking is difficult. And, I, you know, that really brought it to life for me. And then there was the delay and, you know, they let the rain subside and the excitement kind of drifted out a little bit for me. And, you know, it's, it's a fine line, of course, which they need to make. But, you know, the wet weather tires almost seem like they should be framed and put in a museum or something. <laughs> you know, use them. Come on. Yeah, exactly. You know? They seem a bit redundant at this point, I think. I think I think there's a notion maybe in the paddock that they're just not up to scratch to maybe be safe enough. Like I think Leclerc said something about there's too much spray coming mm. off the back of the the rear ones. Maybe that's a uh, kind of a you know maybe a point from making them so large now compared to what mm. they used to be but even Verstappen said that he's I think after Japan he was like I'm, I'll happily do some testing for Pirelli to try and figure <laughs> out how we can make them better because you know back back you know when his dad was racing wet tires actually worked and you could actually get a race underway a bit quicker but potentially also may I know just lately with climate change and stuff maybe just getting way more rain and what and just more chaos i guess and you know therefore are very reluctant these days to get a race on the way too early yeah you might be right we can't really go much further because we mentioned it very briefly but we do have a new world champion well, not new world champion the same world champion as last year but we have crowned the world champion max verstappen at this race and it was a bit of well it was a bit of a will <laughs> did did he didn't he at the end there wasn't it arav yeah, it was. Yeah, I think we just mentioned it earlier before we started recording. Like that moment where Johnny Herbert started saying, oh, "He's, you know, you're the champion, man." He's obviously being told something in his ear, and then that graphic comes up behind him with that big electronic board. And at this point, Verstappen's still a bit clueless at what's happening. Yeah, and he's just told very, you know, very, very awkward conversation. <laughs> one that I got secondhand embarrassment. You know, it just, it just, it made you cringe and wince a bit. And then mm. the fact that, as we said, even before again, like they went up to the, the, the cool down room and he was still uh, telling the guy who gives them the caps, you know, like, oh, did, are you sure I won? I'm being told <laughs> very different things. Yeah. I think that's the first, well, I don't know, maybe maybe, maybe it's happened before, but I think it's one of the first times I know of a new F1 champion of that year asking if he really won the <laughs> championship. <laughs> <laughs> The confusion was over, uh, obviously, the rules that they brought in because of Spa last year. Obviously, there were... They, if if the race hadn't finished and it was un, under red flag and the the time had run out, they they were they were quoting these times you know at twenty five but the zero to twenty five percent they get nine points or whatever you know I can't remember them all off the top of my head, but 
they it didn't finish under the under the red flag. It finished at the at the checkered flag. So therefore, the points apparently get attributed as a full points, which is why it gave Max Verstappen the win, which everyone was confused about, and it, it just went a bit crazy. And as you're right, it, Johnny Herbert announcing the news he wasn't sure either when he was announcing the news he's like i think you've won or yeah you, you've, you've won the championship well done we've, we've just interviewed you but we're gonna have to interview you again yeah it was just very awkward could have been prepared a, a lot better but you know max verstappen has won a second championship fully deserved it this year completely dominating performance coops maybe a bit lackluster in, in the way he was announced but he really did deserve it didn't he this year yeah it was always good to get it whether it be at japan or not it was going to happen uh, mm-hmm. I mean, there's no question that the FIA have tried to do something to let him win it in Japan under Honda Power and all that. I mean, it's... Should I get my tinfoil? Where's my tinfoil hat? <laughs> you know, there, there will be the tinfoil hat brigade out there. Mm. Uh, but, you know, the regulations did state if the race is red flagged and not, unable to resume, this is what will happen. The thing, mm. the confusing part was that the FIA just seemed to assume that everybody knew this. I mean, it's not the, <laughs> FIA, it's not the FIA's job to go around and tell everybody, by the way, these are the rules. It's like, mm. we've made the rules, it's up to you to learn them. And for whatever reason, just about every journalist and just about every person in the whole of Formula One did not read that particular regulation properly. And then when then we looked at it and went, Actually, I think it was actually like that with like, I think Ted Kravitz pointed out that the uh, the uh, chief Red Bull mechanic engineer guy on the pit wall was Mm. legitimately actually just reading through the rule book on his computer on the pit wall, (laughs) trying to understand it. And he was actually racing a Mercedes engineer guy that was doing the same thing down the pit lane. And they both then realized the same thing at the same time. Like, oh, oh, wow. Uh, That's right. And do you know that was Jonathan Wheatley? It wasn't even just an engineer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the sporting director of Red Bull, yeah. one of the big guys, just sitting there going, hey, hey, uh, Hang hey, on. Uh, oh, yeah, uh, those wait, are hey. rules. <laughs> Probably talking to the Mercedes guy going, did you? You're like, aye, 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 okay, aye. So it was a very bizarre situation, but, you know, it is what it is. For once, the FIA got it right. And to, to even further confirm that the FIA were right, and the world feed during the race, they flashed up the full points yeah. and what would happen. So they were going, right, it's just that Sky and Croft and everyone went, right, okay, so we're at this point now, so that's us at 50%. <laughs> so we're going to get this, and if we do this, we're going to get that. So everyone just went that way, mm. and then they had to kind of quickly come back that way, and then it caused all the awkwardness and the strange dragging into a strange wee side room with a pimped-out chair and... But you know, let's was... let's not forget that even on the last lap, it wasn't looking like it was going to be that way. Obviously, Charles Leclerc was being pushed uh, by Sergio Perez. And so he was pushed into that mistake on the very final corner of yep. the race. Oscar, were you kind of cheering on Leclerc at this point, trying to say, come on, stay ahead, we, just to make the championship go further? No. A Ferrari, <laughs> run, Ferrari ran out of chances long ago. Like, let, let, let's just be honest now, you know. <laughs> you, you can only give them so many. I, 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 we all knew the championship was wrapped up. And, you know, mm-hmm. what we all want is it to come down to the wire, you know, 2007, 2010. Those are the real seasons that stand out to me, you know, where it does go down to that, mm-hmm. that final moment. And... um. Although it's a shame that it's wrapped up, there was a certain inevitability about it. I think if anything, and, you know, I doubt it because Red Bull, Verstappen, Horn, Newey have been such a machine, you know, such a bull, if you want to put it that way, this year, charging through everything. 
Mm. that maybe they might just take their foot off the gas a little bit and we might have a few different winners in the last couple of races of the season. I don't know if that will happen, but sometimes we've seen Mercedes and Hamilton do that. So it might get a bit more interesting now, but a really successful campaign for them. You know, you just have to put your hands up because I remember when Verstappen came into the sport, he had this you know, real raw speed that was quite, mm. quite terrifying, really. And he's, you know, really developed that and become, you know, an even better driver. But scarily now, he's got that maturity in him, but he's just not going for those half chances to pass anymore. He's mm. biding his time. He's getting the wins from further down the field. And that's really ominous. You know, looking at the article's being banded about since last weekend, is this the start of a new F1 dynasty? And... I think it's a real question about whether he could become a Vettel, Schumacher, Hamilton going into the next few years. Well, absolutely. I mean, entirely possible that he will be the next person to dominate the sport for many years. But, you know, it's it's up to the other teams to kind of pull it, pull it back and give their drivers, because there are some really great drivers out there as well, but give them uh, good machinery. But if people are spending too much money on their cars, then maybe they've oh, got a slight or advantage. Catering. Or catering. Uh, catering, yeah. Okay. Chicken wings. <laughs> Okay, well, let's talk about some of the other teams. Well done to Max Verstappen. You did deserve it. You had a great season. You have been dominant since race four. Obviously, had a couple of early, you know, blunders with the engine, the unreliability and whatnot. But for the rest of the season, you've done a fantastic job and you thoroughly deserved the season this year. But let's talk about Ferrari then. Obviously, Charles Leclerc just maybe failing to the pressure at the end on the last lap, which gave the, the championship to, to Max Verstappen. He's performed well this year. Obviously, he's had some errors like this, and the team have had errors as well, which is why they've kind of lost it this year. Arif, what can you say about, about Ferrari's performance this weekend in, in Japan? I think the ending was kind of very, like, it gave a good picture of the season generally. They kind of just lost their steam a little bit, and I think mm. it was kind of a deflating moment especially even like in the cool-down room when Verstappen was asking if he'd won the championship, right in front of Charles. <laughs> and it's sort of like, how how much of a piss take is that really? Like, you know, your competitor is asking someone for confirmation right there and then in front of you <laughs> that you've lost and that mm-hmm. he's won. Yeah, so it was very how the season went. This Ferrari just making way too many errors in every department, you know, the, the mm. pit stops, you know, uh, the, the one with science at Sandwalk comes to mind where, where on earth was that rear tire guy, you know, whether it be strategy blunders where Monza could have, Charles had a better chance of winning that race. They didn't try this very audacious two stop, you know, just a lot of things are very Ferrari really that we've come used to over the years. You know, ever since their dynasty, so many, so many eons ago now, they're very known for it now. And uh, it was just a shame because that was, you know, it's it, the Ferrari car was beautiful this year. Yeah. Clearly a quick car, you know, because over one lap, it doesn't lie. The lap time's there, but I think Red Bull made a much better race car, which is a big difference. And Red Bull, apart from like one error, maybe this whole season, maybe with the fuel issue for this happened in Singapore, mm. I don't think they put it for wrong. So I think it's actually more of a case of Red Bull just so strong that Ferrari had no like space to make these errors and, and and they did so they basically just handed it to Red Bull over the course of the season you're right absolutely and obviously Carlos Sainz DNF'd on the first lap just due to the to the weather hitting basically what, what was a big puddle and aquaplaned off the track at, at that point he was just a passenger in in that car and let's talk about some other teams and let's talk while we're here, let's talk about McLaren because obviously we've got Arif here, who's who's part of Lando Norris's quadrant team. What what can you say about the McLaren team, Arif? It was it was a difficult weekend, of course. I mean, for everyone, visibility was a, a really challenging thing, and I think both La, Daniel and La, and Lando were 
we're, we're saying that was quite a tricky thing when you're in a, in a midfield fight where you've actually got so many cars close together. The spray is just crazy when you're not in clean air. Mm. And clearly the Alpine guys have really made a massive step forward. You know, they brought quite a lot of significant upgrade, you know, in the last couple of, a couple of races, you know, it's very mm. clear to see. And, you know, even Lando said that himself in, in interviews, that it's actually amazing that they even are still in this fight because Alpine do have such an advantage. And actually McLaren have been so clinical in every other area of yeah. the operation, pit stop strategies, just, you know, trying to do the, the maximum everywhere else they can, apart from after car performance. So the fact that they're still in this fight, is quite something, but I think Alpine seemed to have overwhelming momentum. You know, even uh, when McLaren got that swing at Singapore, Alpine just get it straight back and they had a great race. So for McLaren, it'd be, it'll be a tough, you know, end of the season, I think, trying to grind out some last points to maybe try and take the fight to Alpine. But I think already, you know, as a lot of teams probably are, they're already trying to settle into, you know, just getting to the end of the season, already thinking ahead probably to next year and what gains they can make with very similar rule sets carrying over. Yeah, absolutely. Lando Norris got the the final single point, and then Danny Rick was eleventh. Was that right? Yeah, that's that's the right. I'm just looking at the, at the results there. So just outside the points as well. So they're at least consistent with each other for the last couple of races. You know, just one step behind each other for Danny Rick, which is it's good kind of way to end his career with McLaren. Maybe yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. taking it to his teammate. Coops, do you want to talk about Alpine? So can you sum up their week? Obviously, Esteban Ocon had a, a brilliant defense of his position against the seven-time world champion Lewis Hamilton. Yes, and I'm starting to really hate Esteban Ocon because he's actually making me like him as a driver. <laughs> <laughs> you know, for a long time I just that's, didn't. I just that's didn't strange. Like him. Yeah, I didn't. I mean, it's it's almost as but it's, it's almost like me coming on at the pod and saying, "Do you know what? I'm looking forward to the French Grand Prix." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you know, oh, you could Ocon was amazing during during that race. It was brilliant, and that I mean, uh, as the other guy, uh, as you've just kind of said, the uh, the the upgrade they brought back, they brought it, they brought it to Singapore, and the way the Alpine have developed, and you know, they should be miles ahead of of McLaren, and you know, even even Alonso having the the battle and the the online, the, the, they crossed the line, him and Vettel zero point zero one one of a second. Yeah, it was great and then you saw the fan footage as they came round and unbelievable you know, typical Formula 1 style it was missed on the live broadcast <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine if Gasly or Ocon won a championship when Alonso's sitting in the Aston Martin <laughs> it'd be very <laughs> Fernando Alonso that that, that would yeah, be would they just leave just as, as Alpine get their, their ship together so yeah it was good to see and it was it, it was it was bittersweet for me to watch Ocon because I'm like, go on, your son. Al, I'm supposed to hate you. Go on. Uh, I, I, I was very conflicted, but it was great. It was good. It was some good good battles. And a thing that I, I did find quite good was Hamilton, you know, in Park Fermi going up to Ocon and, you know, big slaps in the back. And they were saying, well, that was great fun. You know, I enjoyed mm. that. You know, I really, you know, let's you just want to get a good bit of racing. And it was, it was, it was tough, but it was very fair. And that's what you want. Yeah, they gave yeah. each other room. They obviously Ocon planted the car perfectly every single time, which just frustrated Hamilton by the looks of it. You know, he was yep. he was trying everything. He threw everything in the kitchen sink in that battle and just could not get past him. There was a minor bit of contact going into one thirty R where I think Ocon came out in front, and I think his rear wheel can just nudged the front wheel of the of the Mercedes. And it was one of those ones where even though it was a live race, I had to rewind it. And I was like, I was saying to my son who was watching the race with me, going, they touched. And we went back and we had to watch a little bit. Oh, just the tiniest of bumps. 
And it just made me think, imagine if that was a proper bump. You're going in at that speed to 130 hour, that could have been nice. <laughs> but yeah, it was good. It was good to watch. We don't need to go through all the teams because a lot of the teams did have spectacular races. A lot of the drivers, pretty anonymous, just kind of mm-hmm. got, got down to business. But one person that I do want to talk about is the the star of the show, Nicholas Latifi, <laughs> with his, with his two goats. points. Oscar, are you happy to see Latifi score his first points of the season in Japan? Oh yeah, Go Tifi's points tally was literally the thing I was, you know, riding on to make this year a great one. So yeah, I can I can breathe a sigh of relief now. Uh, Sunday morning breakfast was something else, but yeah, no, nice to see. I think you know, let's be honest. Where where we see Nicholas Latifi, he does come into that category of pay driver. He hasn't really lived up to it. You know, the Canadian drivers there haven't been too many that've been able to crack it over the years. Mm. You know. Not all of them can get their dad to buy them a team. So, <laughs> yes, Latifi, great to see him get the points after, you know, being comprehensively beaten by DeVries. And I don't know about you guys, I've got no real, you know, affiliation to Williams, other than it would be great to see them doing well again as a historical team. But it, it, it kind of made me wince a bit seeing DeVries so comfortably beat him in that race. And he must have, you know, at that point, he must have known that the end was the end was nice. So, yeah, nice to see Williams and Latifi get some points before he uh, bows out of the sport gracefully for what I think we can all say will be the last time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you're probably right there. I can't imagine many teams will be vying to no. place him in their seat. Let's talk about the ghastly situation then, because this was the whole one of the, the negative things of the sport that, that's come away from the weekend so that people maybe that all the sport hasn't learned from its previous mistake with Jules Bianchi. Gasly was obviously he came out of the pit and he was speeding and under yellow flags, which you know he's got to take his own portion of the blame for this. But there was a tractor on track in this really extreme wet weather and obviously any mistake could have been made a slight twitch under the you know hitting the hitting a puddle or hitting something he could have been off into that tractor and that would have been the end of a, a, another french driver quite easily so it's bad on the FIA's front the stewards and whatnot bringing out the the tractor on track and of course obviously gasly can you kind of summarize what your your feelings on this is Ara? are you were you disappointed in in f1 for for letting that happen yeah, massively. I, I mean, it's just they just haven't learned anything in eight years. They just learned nothing, and it just showed from that situation. It was just as Martin Brundle said, like there just should never be a tractor on mm. the track when there are cars still going past, and it's a, it's a live session. Like it was, they, they were going to red flag. They were all going back to the pits. You knew that. Mm. You knew that eventually there'd be a nice quiet moment where they're all in the pits, and as long as you know the driver involved in the crash. And as long as he's got out and he's fine, then there's yeah. no rush to collect that car, especially if there's a red flag. I think it also came out that I saw it on Twitter yesterday that I think there was actually a second tractor collecting Albon's car because remember he Ugh. got stricken yeah. earlier, and that was a bit further down. There was actually an onboard from Joe Guanyu, like, and that showed that second tractor that was further down the road. So it was it was doubly bad. But for for Gassi, obviously very close to the Bianchi, you know, uh, ties, you know, family, friends, etc. So it meant a lot more to him. And even, you know, Bianchi's own family were, you know, gassed at what happened there because it just shows a lack of respect of what happened at at that same circuit. It's just uh, such a bad look for Formula One. And they're definitely, you know, they say they've got an investigation, but this time it needs to be one of those ones where it's not just like a swept under the rug or forget about Mm. it. You know, serious question needs to be asked of who actually decided that was a good idea at that point in the race. Gasly's admitted, yes, he was going too fast. I think at one point he was clocked at 251 kilometers an hour while it was a red flag. Like, 
you know, mate, come on, we do it, chill. Yeah. Uh, I found out today that the other drivers who went past it, because all the drivers went past that tractor, because mm. they were right behind the safety car, that majority of them didn't know the tractor was there because they didn't see it. It was yeah. when they got into the pit, they were told the tractor was on the track, and it was Gazda that seen it as he was trying to catch up. Tractor's been on the track when there's a safety car, when the visibility's fine. It's not a problem. Mm. Because it happened at the Italian Grand Prix with Ricardo at the end, and that's how it ended up under the safety car, and it finished under the safety car. You know, you can see it coming from a mile away. You know yeah. it's there. The safety car's there. The problem is the visibility. Uh, you know, I, I was on another podcast at the weekend there, and I said the same thing. Wait, what's the problem? Mm. Give it a minute and a half. As Arvis just said, you know, why were we out there? Why did you just not leave the car where it is? The drivers are going to be taken away from it by the safety car. And I think everyone's a bit more emotional because it's Suzuka, because it's a white race, and because what happened there eight years ago. That's given yeah. the emotion. The FIA tried to double down on it and tried to say, you know, guys will be speeding. And then <laughs> the funny thing was they came out a few hours later and said, due to some feedback from the drivers, no, scathing criticism, I think, is the term you should be using. <laughs> we are going to conduct a review. Now, not a, from what I gather, the FIA and Formula One conduct reviews on these situations anyway. They just don't yeah. announce them. But they kind of had to think, you know, we've had about two hours of just getting absolutely hammered by all these drivers. So. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to have to look into that. And it's an easy fix. When it's these kind of conditions, tractors do not go on the track until, until it's red flagged and it's completely clear. We do not want to see a Formula One car buried under a tractor because regardless no. of the halo, that's going to cause death. Yeah, uh, We just don't want it. Things need to be learned and properly learned, not just sound bites until the next race. Let's hope not. Let's hope not. And, and I don't think we're going to get rain in uh, Kota as well. So, you know. That would be an interesting race. <laughs> that track in the wet. That would be, be strange. <laughs> so, let's try and move on to something a, a little lighter now. Obviously, disappointing that it happened, but I'm sure F1 will learn or they should learn. Let's hope they do learn from their mistakes this weekend in Japan. So, that was the Japanese Grand Prix review. It was a, it was a good race, what we did see. Of the of racing, the weather obviously mixed it up for us. Max Verstappen won the championship. You know, fantastic, brilliant. Can I jump in quickly? Can we just talk about how badly Haas hung Mick Schumacher out to, to dry in that race? <laughs> yeah. That was just soul-destroying watching him in those wet tyres. Like, We're waiting for a safety car. No, you're not. No, you're not. <laughs> and what made it worse was how Vettel, who was last, went into the pits first for Inters and finished sixth. Mm. You know, if that's not a sign of how bad Haas are treating Mick Schumacher just now, like, come on, we knew, just just go in. I think, you know, I think it was six seconds difference between the wet tyre and the mm. inters. Yeah, poor Mick, you know, he's fighting for his career in Formula One and they're like, we're just going to stick you in the complete wrong tyre. You know, you kind of watched that and thought, oh, it's a shame. It was, it was kind of heartbreaking stuff for poor Mick. And I'm sure he had a few things to say to the pit crew when he went back. Okay, well, let's talk about the news then. Yes. Let's talk about the cost cap situation. Obviously, mm -hmm. it got a bit... We've got the news that the Red Bull team have spent their budget or over their budget. We haven't actually been told by the exact amount, but their budget was no. spent over on their catering. It wasn't anything to do with their development of the car, apparently. Allegedly. Allegedly. Yeah, yeah. But it's a big overspend, apparently, but it's underneath the 5%. It's considered a, a minor a breach. 
So probably looking at uh, less development time for the car, less wind tunnel, tunnel time and a fine. And what, what do you think, Arif? It's an interesting one because I think all the rival teams are very adamant about the FI coming down hard, as they should really, because I think if, if there's any kind of infraction, I think that's the whole point of a cost cap. No matter what you spend it on, yeah. if it's the Red Bull restaurant, then fine. But it's still, you know, overspending on the cost cap. And it means, uh-huh. you know, I think Christian Horner is very adamant at Singapore that they didn't do anything wrong and <laughs> that their interpretation was that they didn't spend over. So I think the, the, the thing I've read is potentially maybe they outsourced something like the catering and because it was an outsourced contract they assumed it wasn't part of their budget Um, but you know even if they did that that means they left themselves more money to then spend elsewhere so the argument could be you know it could be on the car you know mercedes and ferrari very adamant that actually it's maybe something to do with you know the salaries that are paid for you know sick leave and also just bonuses things like leased cars which mm. the FI have calculated back and added to the budget because that's all part of it. So it's a very messy situation, one that won't go away quietly, I don't think. And um, I think Ferrari and Mercedes are, are out for blood. And I think also this, at the same time, even other teams apparently reported mm. other teams are also annoyed. You know, I think at one point, like at some point this season, I can't remember when, but I think Andrew Seidel and McLaren alluded to the fact that, you know, the top teams, especially Red Bull, maybe could offer some really insane salaries and really, you know, headhunt people aggressively because of that. Yeah. And he was sat there wondering, like, how they how they're affording this because that's all going to go to the cost cap. So yeah, it's going to be interesting. Uh, well, I don't know. The FI have announced that they breached it, but they haven't said anything typically about when the penalty will come. So mm. I guess we're just waiting. <laughs> Yeah, they're, they're just going to have to discuss it between themselves. It depends how much heat they're getting from the other teams, I guess. What kind of punishment are they going to dole out? It depends on how aggressive Mercedes, uh, McLaren and all the rest are, are kind of pushing them, Ferrari and whatnot. But Lewis Hamilton said, obviously, last week that if we had an extra 300,000, that could be the difference of a, an adjustment to the floor, which could be more downforce, more kilometres an hour, whatever, on a racetrack, which could have bought them another victory or two. So it's got a, absolutely, it's it's a shocker that, they, that they've spent too much money. What will happen of it i think it's likely to be a fine and maybe development time or wind tunnel time next year i think that's probably the only real way that they can kind of punish them looking at the punishments that that were on the list from the regulations oscar you look like you wanted to talk yeah just wanted to to, yeah comment on this because i I feel very strongly about it to be honest with you i mean you know it's been reported if they've spent what is it two million dollars or under something like that so you know wish I was in Red Bull hospitality, honestly, eating like kings and queens. <laughs> but the reality is that, and to use a football analogy for this, to go back to our mediocre team talk at the start, <laughs> financial fair play, a system which was brought into English football to ensure that not, you know, no one team is spending too much and is meant to bring the whole league together. Now, this cost cap is meant to work in a similar way, you know, limit the amount that teams can spend, yeah. hopefully encourage efficiency and creativity within the teams and a more positive environmental aspect as well from using less parts. Now, if the FIA doesn't crack down on Red Bull for this overspend, no matter how small, then I think the message gets diluted in the same way that it has within the English football game. Teams have gone on spending. The punishment isn't severe enough. There is no negativity to it in that it is worth maybe breaching the rules slightly because the punishment isn't severe enough. And this message, if the FI does not crack down on Red Bull Mm. enough, will be a similar message in that the top teams, they may as well overspend, you know, the likes of Ferrari, Red Bull, Mercedes, who have the budget to maybe push the boundaries a little bit. And that's just going to result in the the smaller teams being left behind 
as they really have done already. Mm. So I think it'll be interesting to see the way the FIA plays this, but I think it's really important to lay down a marker to ensure that no other team is going to do this, you know, going forward. I agree completely, 100% agree, because teams will just say, well, we can afford the fine, we'll pay that fine if it means we get 5% extra or up to 5% extra. It's it's worth doing for a championship win, absolutely. Another bit of news that dropped this week, and it's it's sad news, actually, as again, it's all doom and gloom this week, unfortunately, but the W Series haven't found the funders to help them finish their season this year for the last three races in Cota and in Mexico. And so therefore they've called the, the season, it's over. And Jamie Chadwick was, was the winner again, so the third time world champion. So that's that's a great result for her, obviously. But it's just sad for the sport that was so promising that the racing was excellent. Arif, have you been watching the, the W Series or have you, have you dabbled into I've, it a little uh, bit? Yeah, I've, I've uh, dipped my toes in. I've watched a couple of couple of rounds here and there. Of course, rooting on Jamie with the little affiliations of Loche. Mm. So yeah, it's been it's been great to see her just absolutely smashing it. But yeah, like you said, there's been some some really entertaining. Right? The one that springs to mind was Miami. Yeah, with the whole safety car restart was bonkers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just it was a series that had a very strong message behind it of trying to be as inclusive inclusive as possible and and doing right by women in, in motorsport. In you know whether they're a driver or a mechanic, an engineer, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And uh, I think it was. I feel like this season it was just starting to turn the corner a bit in terms of maybe getting more recognition. They were on, you know, big F1 support race bills. Hmm. And I think it would have been really massive for them to go to the USGP because I think that's a, a massive market potentially to advertise themselves in front of. And it's just a shame that, you know, for whatever reason, some investor has just refused to cough up the money that they promised or anything like that. So yeah, it's, uh, it's a weird one. It's, it's always a bit of, it reminds me a bit of uh, the whole rich energy has thing, you know, from a couple of years ago. Like, hmm. I don't know why that, that that's just happened so late in the game, but it's disappointing, but hopefully they, 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 they're, they're back next year and they consolidate whatever they can. Yeah, so Catherine Beyond Bond Muir or Muir Bond has said she's she's fully focused on getting the backers for for next year to to thrust the the sport ever higher and give it that the full season. It's just about finding the sponsors. You'd think in this day and age with the whole wanted women in motorsport, a big brand like Coca Cola would sponsor that that series, or you know. But there are so many big brands out there; they would look so forward thinking of them. It would be it tick loads of boxes for them, and and it's just you know. I don't know. If I was if I was a big sponsor like that, if I had deep pockets, I think the like problem those... is I think the problem is Sky don't take it seriously enough. That they 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 do a really like subpar job at broadcasting it. Like they don't mm. show any of the kind of intro or the outro to the races. They kind of just hard cut onto five red lights, hard cut it. You know, they I think they've even before like cut it for to start the F one coverage. Right. And it's just like it deserves a bit more respect. So I think maybe that's maybe an issue for like, you know, a sponsor coming in, like they don't actually get the the full airtime that you'd want. I don't know. Yeah. I mean hopefully they just recover the next year really. Yeah, and they've been brilliant for us. We've had, we've had all the well, not all of them, but we've had a lot of the W Series drivers on, and they took me into the to the paddock at Silverstone, and they were brilliant. It was it was by far the most friendly paddock at Silverstone, and they 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 were all very very approachable in there. So we we wish them well, and we hope to see them on the on the F1 circuit next year. Okay, well, I think that's pretty much all the news we need to talk about, but we must talk to our guest now, Arav. This is your time to get grilled by us. And- <laughs> Are you sure? Me and Oscar can just talk about Man United, really. So <laughs> It's a Formula One podcast, not a football podcast. <laughs> but Oscar, I'll let you lead it, because obviously you're, you're, you're a follower of, uh, of Arabs, and you, you, you obviously know a lot more about Arabs than me. I, I have looked through today, and, and you, you've raced virtually with some big names in the esports world, and esports, are just, they're just picking up. What, what is it about esports that's gripping everyone now? 
and, and kind of getting the audiences. Well, the, well, with the competitive stuff, I think just generally F1 Esports has got a lot more investment from, from the real teams, a lot more intrigue and insight, and people are starting to see it as a great, great form of entertainment. But I think I myself have known that for, for a while because F1 Esports only started in 2017. So F1 gaming, like casual gaming in general, it's been around for ages. I, like I said, I've been doing this for like 10 years now. So and the whole time, I've been a firm believer of the F1 gaming races, you know, races you and me could do in like a career mode on the game mm-hmm. can be just as entertaining, if not more entertaining than the real stuff. And that's a lot of, you know, a lot of the time what I get told in comments of videos is the racing is so much better and so much closer than it is in real life because it is a game. So there <laughs> yeah. is a bit more ebb and flow with the, the way the game pans out. But it's great to see the esports side of it specifically getting bigger, getting more funding. I think it's like the biggest prize pool we've had so far this year. So it's been great to watch from a distance on that side of things with the competitive side. And then with the casual stuff i think you were just seeing so many more young people getting into f1 via the gaming route like it's been quite surprising and quite amazing to hear people say they've literally got into f1 because having watched my silly little videos and on youtube like it's yeah. just, just insane to hear and, and, and great because it obviously they're the future viewers of of the sport for years to come so what's been your favorite thing to do then obviously you've, you've raced with charles leclerc was that a, a highlight yeah. of your career yeah, I would say so. I think, yeah, definitely a highlight of racing now Ferrari driver trying to go for a championship against Max Verstappen. Yeah, that was a very interesting time, obviously, back in 2020 with lockdown, you know, all the F1 drivers having nothing to do but, you know, play the F1 game or, you know, mm. play any other sim racing game and stream on Twitch. So, yeah, it was an interesting time for F1 where we got a real crossover between the gaming side and, and F1 mm. drivers, you know, going up against Leclerc with a 1v1 race it was around the Red Bull ring. So <laughs> quite nerve wracking, you know, line, you know, even though it's virtual, literally lining up alongside an F1 <laughs> driver and knowing that it is just me and him on this track with, you know, thousands of people watching online live and having to try and, well, at least not embarrass myself. And thankfully I didn't, you know, by the, I think maybe he was just humoring me, but he did say I was quite quick. So I'll take that to my grave. Did he win? Uh, yes, yes. I, I I narrowly narrowly got bested in the first round, and then the second one he absolutely minced me off the line. So there's no looking back there. But I'll take I'll take the compliment, even though it might have just been you know just let me down easy sort of thing. But yeah, you know that's <laughs> definitely a highlight. But I think also just uh, as you mentioned, like being in quadrant with uh, with Lando Norris has been a pleasure so far. You know, getting to you know actually film videos with him. You know, go to his house and film some videos and just yeah. have a laugh really with him and actually like you know just show that side of him that maybe not that you know people maybe know about or you do see. Play- any of it in interviews etc and social media but it's been great to actually you know explore his passion for gaming and uh, and content creation but i think as a as a whole just seeing where f1 is now so with social media where f1 yeah. gaming is now it's been it's such a stark contrast to 10 years ago when i started you know with like pointing a camera at my tv to, to where it is now where like actual <laughs> f1 teams want to work with you because of mm. the the kind of pool you have with younger viewers which they know are going to be their future kind of fans and do you do you compete competitively with those? Are you in a, a, an actual championship, or are you more kind of just for the the, the content on YouTube? Yeah, it's mostly sort of just the content. I, I would like to I would like to say I could be competitive, but no, I'm I, I like to say I'm kind of quick enough to make an entertaining video, let's say. But I leave the uh, <laughs> competitive racing to the actual pros. They're just on a on a different level, which yeah. even the F1 drivers know. I think a lot of the time when the F1 drivers in lockdown raced against the esports guys they were very flummoxed with how quick someone can actually be on, on a game like that. But it is just a different level of like, you know, dedication and practice they go to. But mm-hmm. yeah, as long as I can make an entertaining video for people, that's that's all, all, all about every single day, trying to just entertain people revolving around Formula One, which is just an absolute dream. Keeps, you got a question for Arav? I think it's more general. I've got a son who's 12, that we've mentioned before, and he watches 
he doesn't watch like Formula One uh, or content creators, but he's watched a few, I think like Dan TDM and things like that. And he did talk about it. He said, oh, it would be great if I could just spend the time on my computer doing this. And I'm like, well, no, because it's a job. So, <laughs> like, you've got to work. And, yeah. like, I've had to try and explain to him. And he knows this now as he's got older. And, like, you've got to think. He's got to sit. And, you know, you've got the, your Dan and yourself and the others. You've got to think of the idea. You've got to then do the idea. You've got to hope that engages. You've got to then, you know, edit it and put it up. How do you find that moving from when you started to now? Yeah, it, it, yeah, it definitely does develop quite a lot in terms of the, how seriously you take it, I think. Because uh, I, I started this whilst I was in a still sixth form, like last couple of years of my school. Then did it as a hobby, like a part-time job, basically during university. Then I mm. graduated and pre- pretty much gave myself a year just to see how I could do it full-time and kind of never look back from there. But, you know, I, I take it very, very seriously. You know, I've got like a you know actual Excel spreadsheet schedule with every single day, you know, scheduling what idea I'm going to do. You right. know, sometimes if a video idea falls through, I might swap ideas around and, you know, swap around videos. But there is an actual concrete schedule of what I'm doing every day and what ideas I've got. And like you said, thinking of the ideas, every, you know, constantly trying to come up with new things. And it's difficult sometimes with F1 because... At the end of the day, F1 is a bit more linear potentially than other mm. video games out there or even just other sports games like FIFA. It's very linear in terms of it is a race. You know, the lights go out, you race, and then the, the race ends, and that's pretty much it. So you do have to think outside the box a bit. And, um, yeah, like you said, everything goes into play, you know, marketing with, you know, thumbnail design, titles, you know, thinking about, you know, how, you know, tweeting it out or do I post like a, well, now, now, nowadays, like, do I post a TikTok about it or a reel <laughs> to market it further? So there's a lot, to, a lot to think about, you know, editing the video. I do all my, my own editing. So it's just, it's basically just a one man team basically. So yeah, it's something definitely that for me, I take very seriously and I'm just so dedicated because my viewers have allowed me to actually call this a job. Like you said, your son thinks it's a lot of fun. It is obviously a lot of fun, but the fact that I get to call it a job is is pretty mad to me. So I try and take the utmost care with actually trying to do my job as best as I can. Yeah, you've got like 700,000 followers on your YouTube yeah. alone. And obviously Quadrant have got five and a half, 550,000 on there. And yeah, so like you've got that, yeah. a big audience kind of watching and tuning into your videos. Yeah, it's a, it's a, if you put it into like actual perspective, like that's it, it like in say, I think like at Silverstone, like what was it like 250,000 people attend over the, over the whole weekend. So yeah, to think crazy. of it in those kind of numbers is, is bonkers that that many people have at, at one point in time liked my content enough to click subscribe <laughs> and, and want to see more. And that, and that's just in, insane to me. And, uh, you know, when I started you, uh, F1 YouTube, the ceiling for like the biggest creator when I started was, I think, around, 20,000 subscribers oh wow uh, that okay. was the ceiling for that back then in 2012 so the fact that we've got to this point where myself and other creators like uh, Tim and Marduk have got to like you know over 700k just purely on f1 content mm. is uh, pretty bonkers you know I'm, I'm quite proud of us that we pushed that ceiling higher and higher what's been your favorite video that you've created Oh, I mean, I, I, to be honest, I, I got to say, I really enjoyed making the, my 1v1 video with Leclerc because I got to, because it, it was streamed, but I got to record the video locally as well and then kind of edit it up and I uh, kind of made a bit of a story out of it because at the time uh, it was all set up by Veloce, the producer of the whole series of that 1v1 messaged me and he was very mm. coy about who I'd be racing that day because I didn't know at the time. So it was like this whole story of me finding out and absolutely crapping myself at the fact that I was going to have to go up against the Ferrari driver. So that in itself is probably one of my most successful videos as well. But I think just any like, you know, 
bonkers career mode video where there's been some insane race where you know there's been like four safety cars like you know 12 dnfs in the race and it's the most <laughs> mental thing you've ever seen just always so fun to record it do the race but then also commentate it afterwards and actually mm. just have fun kind of looking back at even though it's a virtual f1 race some pretty good f1 racing and actually just having fun just commentating over it as well and it's not just F1 stuff that you do, is it? You've done some of just fun kind of yes. challenge, challenges with your friends. Yeah, yeah. I do like one-off videos occasionally where I like, I, like, I play the MotoGP game. I'm terrible at that game. So it's just a, it's just a laugh, at, you know, try my hand at that. You know, recently I did a, a video with the Dakar, the new Dakar rally game. That was okay. a lot of fun. Just, you know, exploring, dipping my toes out. And yeah, with Quadrant especially, we've done a lot of challenge videos where I think well, one of the favorite ones I've done this year was uh, with Lando was we did a blindfolded challenge where one person's blindfolded and they have to drive with the steering wheel and the person next to them has to tell them where they're going, when to break, <laughs> when to throttle. So uh, oh. it was a lot of fun to to get Lando on that and see how terrible he was at it. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it, it's just a good laugh, really. It adds the kind of, you know, fun content that's always like the, be- the best to try and make with Quadrant, especially because when you get an F1 driver in a very non-serious setting, it's great. So what is Quadrant exactly? Is it just everything that Lando does away from F1? Yeah, it it is really an extension of Lando. There's like these four pillars of gaming, lifestyle, apparel, and and then the actual motorsport side and the racing side. So it's kind of just, you know... I would say sprout out from where he is as a person, trying to, you know, show off that he's got all these different interests. And obviously for us on the content side of things, just trying to make some fun content really and mm. try and, you know, we have this connection with Lando and we have this connection into the paddock. So trying to make the best of it and trying to just make some really engaging content for, for younger fans to maybe enjoy. Yeah, and it really is bringing a lot of younger fans into, into the yeah, sport. Totally. Yeah, totally, totally. We've got Oscar back now, so we've got the man with the questions. You can fire away now. Honestly, I'm I'm sorry about the delay there, guys, but it's a bit tricky here. So I am in the travel lodge, and you know the, the Wi-Fi isn't brilliant. But I did. We forgive you. Thank you, and and I did <laughs> want to join because honestly, Arab, I am a big fan. I appreciate um, it, and uh, I am going to be watching the F1 manager of Mexico episode <laughs> straight after yeah, yeah. this. I want to see how you can manage to get four safety cars in one race. So I'm looking forward to that. And yeah, I guess the question I have for you is, as you said, you've been in it for ten years now i think your first video was actually june 2012 so that anniversary has, has just gone past yeah um did you expect when you when you brought that first video to your youtube channel that you know all these years later you'd be doing it on a regular basis you know making a living out of it you've got your face scanned into the into the pit crews you know in the f1 you know f1 games now That's did cool. you expect that level of success Absolutely not, no. Because when I uploaded that first video, it was literally like, I'm not even joking, like a camera pointed at my TV. Like I didn't even have the money to afford a, like a actual recording capture card at the time for my PlayStation 3. <laughs> so yeah, to go from that to, as you say, like actually being in the F1 game and having like a livery made last year, like seeing my name on the menu, like globe, like knowing that everyone who owns this game can see that part in the game. It's just absolutely mental to me. So yeah, it's gone beyond my wildest dreams, let's say. The, the fact that even casually I can talk about working with an F1 driver, an active F1 driver is yeah, bonkers <laughs> in itself. Yeah, no, I, I can only imagine it must be a dream. <laughs> yeah, to, to literally be working with Lando Norris. I mean, if I was playing FIFA with CR7, then, you know. <laughs> the I, dream, I, the dream. <laughs> exactly. Uh, seeing everyone possible down the game chat. So, yeah, no, that, that's great. You know, you've had so much success. Is is it getting more difficult now? Because obviously esports has exploded. You know, it's getting more popular by by the month, by the year. There's so much money in it. 
you're obviously a very well-established motorsport content creator, but you know, is the market becoming more saturated? I think for, it definitely is. I think if you're starting now, it'd be it'd be a lot more challenging. I think to maybe get a, a grasp of a, of a larger audience, but. At the same time, the game is actually still growing very rapidly over the years. Like we're still very tiny compared to like a game like FIFA, where it's so globally known. There's so many numbers of you know viewers that watch FIFA content or watch football content versus mm. Formula One. So I think we're we're still probably I would say like you know eight eight years behind where FIFA was eight years ago in terms of the numbers we're seeing on, on YouTube, et cetera. So it is, it is getting more challenging with, you know, more creators popping up, but it's, it's, a, it's an exciting challenge, obviously, because it just pushes you to not get complacent, not get comfortable and kind of push the bow out with ideas, you know, at the same time, you know, YouTube itself is changing, you know, trends come and go, you know, the best way to do a thumbnail, the best way to, you know, make a tile out and, uh, and make the content. So that also plays into, into that for sure as well. So, but it's just, just been great to see the F1 game grow so much, but it does have its challenges. Let's say this year has not been the best F1 game they've ever released really in terms <laughs> of the, the lack of new features for my team career mode, let's say. And there's been a few, well, quite a few bugs when it, when it launched. So I think this year has been quite a challenging one for everyone as creators, but kind of like a winter year where we're all kind of, waiting and biding our time for the next game and hoping that will be a bit better but it comes and goes that's that's with the job and you just kind of make the most of it and like i was saying to coops earlier just constantly trying to think of like new ideas basically you have to keep everything fresh sure yeah you know you've, you've had many of course you know <laughs> yeah the survive often quite chaotic you know yeah you've, you've got great skills so the classic games which you know as someone who grew up playing f105 f106 that's yeah. really cool to see you do some of that as well so that that's great yeah especially because like some of those games i, I like ne i never played because i actually didn't get i didn't get into f1 until about like oh seven ish time so some of those games like, i literally actually didn't even watch the season of so to see like how far even the games come like so many people complain about the the graphics and the looks <laughs> <laughs> the AI, little did they know how how far the games have come. <laughs> they look very real now, don't they? they I, that's one thing. As as a non gamer, I, I tuned I I tuned in and in, in the twenty twenty year, obviously the COVID year when they were doing yeah. all these, and, and I was just so shocked at how real. And obviously, it's I'm guessing it's developed further since then. I haven't really watched much content since then, but it, it just looks amazingly real. Yeah, they find every year they seem to find some way of making it better. I think now we're kind of waiting on because obviously the next generation of consoles have come out with the yeah. PS5 and Xbox Series X. So I think we're now waiting as gamers to move on to the next full generation, have a F1 game that's fully made for, for that platform, that next generation of consoles. So whenever that comes, I reckon the step up will be even greater. And yeah, it, it just keeps hopefully going in the right direction in terms of every aspect of the game. What would, what would you add into a game that, that's, that you feel is missing? Oh, it's a top. I mean, I've got. I, honestly, I I make videos at this point every year about game ideas, and there's honestly so many ideas where they could take it. I think one for me right now is because we've got this whole notion of Red Bull may, maybe making their own engine with variable powertrains. You know, maybe mm -hmm. Honda come back and help them out. But I think just generally the power unit, you know, regulations going to be a big thing for 2026 and on, and onwards. I yeah. think right now they're missing a trick with the the career mode of building your own power unit, having that full road to glory experience where, you know, you start off with like the worst engine you know alonso be cussing it out in no time <laughs> you build it up and you have that potential to build an engine of your own up in in formula one you know they've already got the the, the aspect of building your own team with your, your own teammate and yourself driving in it so why not add the engine into the into that factor i feel 
But I just wondered for, you know, especially for your fans uh, like myself, who have been following <laughs> for many, many years, what exactly goes into the production of a video? So let's take your My Team career in which yeah. Arav uh, creates his own team, designs a logo, you know, uh, drivers and so on, and then races in an F1 calendar. Now, as part of that, of course, you know, you're cutting it together. You've got your voiceover kind of reviewing the race as it goes. Can you give us maybe a little a little taster of what exactly goes into one yeah. of those. Right, okay, so let's say, like, uh, okay, what if on the day I wake up and, I, and that's the day to do a My Team career mode, so probably, like, unlike maybe you think YouTubers wake up really late, I like to actually wake up kind of at like the same sort of time, you know, 9 a.m., try and get cracking on it. Record the race, so obviously I do a 50% distance of the real-life Grand Prix laps. You know, you have to go through all the kind of intro bits with the menus, talk about, you know, give, give time in the recording for talking about these different things like the upgrades you're making, et cetera. Do the qualifying, the race, that probably takes on, no like at least two to three hours sort of get through all that recording time. Then, you know, probably have a little tiny breather, then edit the video together. So like you said, clipping it up and making it a highlights reel. So, you know, let's say like the recording of the race itself is like, I don't know, about an, about an hour trying to condense that down into about, I would say 15 to 20 minutes of high action. Then you have the qualifying before then the intro. So that's probably like maybe like a 35 minute video. Probably by then we're at about, I don't know, three o'clock, 3 p.m. Then get into commentating, which is always such a fun part of it. It's been an insane race because <laughs> it's just chaos. And even though I've literally just recorded that race the morning before, like literally that day, because there's so much like different time from when I've finished the race to when I'm actually commentating, I'm honestly not even kidding. I've sometimes forgotten what's happened. So even I'm surprised <laughs> and I've got a genuine reaction to what's happened in this race. But I've also just honed like a bit of a skill of commentating as if I don't know what's about to happen and having that kind of genuine reaction to it, which is definitely a skill that I, it takes use to getting used to. I think so many other people would like to do live commentary because it's right. actually a genuine, genuine thing. But I've just never been one to be able to race and talk. Like, like <laughs> That's at least one weakness I have is I just cannot race and talk. Like, I'm so laser focused in what I'm trying to do. So no uh, yeah. for you in uh, Top Gear then. Yeah, yeah, no, I think even like talking in, in, in like an actual road car is difficult for me in terms of like I, I really can't concentrate if I'm just not uh, zoomed in on the road ahead. So yeah, commenting is always a lot, a lot of fun. And then obviously rendering the video out and then uploading it for about, well, usually I try and aim for about 7 to 8 p.m. And then sometimes these days YouTube likes to take the piss a little bit with the processing time. So that's always a <laughs> bit of a headache. So, but yeah, eventually getting the video out and then it's really just sitting back and kind of the, fun, the the most fun part is actually enjoying seeing the reactions initially when the video goes out and just seeing that people are actually entertained by what you've made that day so uh, it's always the best part do you aim for like a video a day when you're when you're doing these things then yeah yeah i try to aim for a video a day but obviously now with quadrant sometimes i'm away for example going out to the us gp with the team so i'll be out for four days so i'll try my best to get ahead on videos and try and pre-make them ahead of time but Sometimes it's just not possible, so you miss a day or, or two, but uh -huh. I think easily I'll be doing at least 300 videos out of uh, 365 days. Wow, easily. that's crazy. That is a massive task. It is quite staggering, honestly, you know, your, your ability to, to be able to churn out that much content. And I have to ask, of course, you know, you love F1, as we all do in the EF1 community, but... Do you ever get a little bit bored of it? You find yourself coming to a day and you think, oh, maybe I've just watched a race on Sunday. I've been churning out, you know, videos, doing it for YouTube all weekend. And you get to Monday and you just think, 
I could just do without activating ERS for just one day, just one day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, like like any any job, like there's obviously days where you just you know, you know don't feel up to it, maybe or you have to grind through it, and so just like any other job, yeah, there are times like that. But I think to be honest, it's kind of the opposite in terms of like watching it. The real F1 always gets me excited to like record a new race or make a new video, especially if it's a great race. Obviously, if it's a bit of a dud, then you know, obviously, I actually kind of try and remedy remedy that by having a good race yourself on the game, I guess. But <laughs> Yeah, so there's always inspiration from from real F1, but obviously, like any job, there's always like you know a dull day here or there. Sure, and and you know coming to the end of the year now, 2022. How would you rate this year so far in terms of your career, in terms of producing F1 content? I think it's been a pretty pretty damn solid year. I think the last couple of years have been quite a, quite a steep kind of rise, I guess, since the kind of whole year with lockdown that really put F1 gaming on the map a little bit and kind of really shook things up in terms of how many people are watching. But I think this year has been pretty, pretty damn good. I mean, like I said, this is F1 games been a little bit poor. So it's been a bit more of a challenge, I guess, but I think compared to most, I've made the most of, of that challenge and try and keep it as fresh as I can with, you know, like PC modding, et cetera, like that. So yeah, it's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun making videos up to, up to the run to the F1 game coming out, you know, all the preview videos and stuff like that. And then I'm sure there'll be some wackier ideas as we get towards like Christmas, like, you know, F1 cars on the snow, et cetera, that kind of thing. So that's always a lot of fun. Let, let's talk about the actual F1 then. Who do you support when you're watching? Obviously, you're going to have to say Lando because, you know, you're well, part of I, I haven't uh, I haven't actually supported anyone properly since Jensen Button retired because I was a, bi- a big Jensen Button fan. Yes, and me too. He, and is that a, I've just noticed. Is that a, is that his helmet behind you? Yes, yeah, so I've got that? a mini helmet of him on my on my bedside. Yeah, I thought it was. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I haven't, I haven't supported anyone like like I used to when once he retired, which is kind of a good thing for me as a as a content creator because it means I can watch the races quite unbiased and anytime like you know I'm giving an opinion or whatever, you know I don't really actually care who wins as long as it's a good race. I'm going to yeah. be happy about it. Uh, but like you said, obviously wanting wanting to see Lando do well because of course you know fil- filming content with him, obviously why would you not? So it's been kind of fun to actually cheer him on him on ever since quadrant kind of came into fruition but you know i'm just all for the kind of the new gen of drivers coming through and just having that very exciting style of racing that they bring but at the same time then you've got hamilton you know the old guard fending off the youngsters it's been very interesting to watch obviously and hopefully hopefully maybe some other teams can give a red bull max a bit more of a fight next year mm, absolutely and what circuit would you like to go to that you haven't been to yet well, it's a tough one because I actually ticked off one of my bucket lists this year, which is the, uh, the Canadian Grand Prix out in Montreal. So nice. I think, I, I honestly, we spoke about Suzuka being so great earlier. I, honestly, I think it would be maybe Suzuka at some point, you know, just the, the, the culture and the passion there is just insane. And uh, when it when it, when it it is a race that can actually be run properly, you can get some really, really exciting racing there. So uh, yeah, potentially Suzuka at some point. And what would you say to any young, budding F1 content creators out there looking to get into the game, content creation, what what would you be your one piece of advice that you've learned that everyone should stick to? Just be consistent. I think if you want to try and turn it into a bit more than a hobby, maybe you have to be just consistent, whether that's one video a week or, you know, one video a month, just be consistent with that. Yeah. And just have fun with it. Make sure you're actually making content and I, and you're doing ideas that you actually want to do, not forcing yourself through to do anything that you don't fancy doing. Like if you, you know, if you are more of a commentator, then maybe commentating league racing might be for you rather than doing the actual racing itself. Or if you are competitive, get involved in the esports potentially. You know, there's a whole plethora of different content out there for F1, and it's it's growing by the day. So just a case of getting your foot, uh, getting your getting your foot stuck in, and uh, just being consistent, really. 
Brilliant. Well, I think we can end it on that then. Oh, that's, a, yeah. that's a great note to end it on for all those young up and coming gamers out there. Do you want to plug your socials while you're here for one last time? Uh, yeah. So on YouTube, it's just Arava, A-A-R-A-V-A. And then on most socials, it's underscore and then my, and my name, Arava. So on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. So yeah, I mean, and also obviously like I mentioned with Quadrant as well. So you can check out Quadrant. That's the content team with Lando Norris. Excellent. Well, it's been great talking to you. It's good to get your views on the racing and, of course, on your career in the esports world. So thank you very much for coming to speak to us today. Yeah, cheers, guys. No problem. Thank you very much to Coops and for Oscar for, for chatting to us as well. We are the Everything F1 team. You can find us on all our socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. Also on our shiny website, www.everythingf1.com. And of course, we'd love it for you to hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast streaming service to get all of our latest podcasts in your earlobes as soon as you drop. Now, this is our 90th episode. So it's a landmark occasion for us. And and Arav is is part of that landmark as well. So we hope you enjoyed it. (laughs) Uh, We will be back next week where we preview the second of the Americas race. 